Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. I'm your host, Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Hi, Island as well. The last few episodes have all had a similar theme. People being murdered by those very close to them. And tonight is no different. Suggested by Tony Banhammer Fairbairn, one of the island's Facebook mods. Hi, Tony. This one is a doozy. So let's get straight into it. Tonight I will reference, and there's not too much, abc.com, some court videos, and I did watch forensic files on this case. But I tell you, most of this you can get from the court video if you watch it. Okay, so it's 2005 and we go to New York State, weed sport to be precise, where Stacey, Ruth Caster and David Caster live with their daughters and stepdaughter, respectively. You see, Ashley, 17, and Bree, 14, were from Stacey's previous marriage to Michael Wallace, who died in the year 2000. And we'll get to her previous marriage a little bit later. Now, 38-year-old Stacey and 48-year-old David Caster were married in 2003, And they worked together at their air conditioning service business, Liverpool Heating and Air Conditioning. Now, David, he treated Stacey very well, buying her whatever she wanted, took her out to fancy restaurants and all that. (laughs) Fancy. Is that an old person's word to say something? Oh, you're going to that fancy wedding. You look fancy, all that sort of, I don't know. Anyway, took her out to fancy weddings. Now, Danny Coleman, one of Stacey's friends, said that Stacey was loved and she was treated like a lady. Now, that would all come to an end on Monday the 22nd of August 2005. Stacey had gone to work at the aircon business and became worried that her husband, David, had not turned up to work. She called 911 and told the operator that she was worried about David as they'd been arguing over the weekend and that he'd locked himself in the bedroom. He hadn't turned up to work and she was worried because he had a gun in the room. So she met up with Sergeant Robert Willoughby of the Onondaga County Sheriff's Department at the house and they proceeded to do a welfare check. The officer knocked on the bedroom door and there was there was noise of a TV running but there was no response from David. As the door was locked, he kicked it in and there, stretched out on the bed, was David Caster, dead. The bed was covered in vomit which had run down the side of the covers and pooled on the floor. In fact, there was spew everywhere, on the bed, on the floor and all the way into the ensuite bathroom. Stacy asked the officer if he was okay and the reply was, no, he's not. Now Stacy screamed. He's not dead. He's not dead. And a friend from next door, Lynn Pulaski, she came and consoled her. Now, initial investigations of the bedroom showed an empty bottle of Ocean Spray Light Cranberry Juice, an empty glass, one glass half filled with a green liquid, and a bottle of Hiram Walker apricot flavoured brandy. 
Now, on the floor was a large container of antifreeze liquid, and under the bed was a shotgun. Now, an autopsy would show that David had died from ethyl glycol poisoning, which is what the green liquid in the glass was, and of course, it's what makes up antifreeze, which was the bottle found on the floor next to the bed. Now, Stacey told police how they'd been arguing over the weekend and that David had been drinking. On the Sunday, he locked her out of the bedroom and she slept on the couch. She went to work on the Monday morning and when he didn't turn up, she was worried enough to call for help. Now, while searching through the house, investigators found something strange. They found a turkey baster in the kitchen bin. It looked, at the, looked as though it had a small amount of green liquid in it, so it was taken and forensically examined. The coroner ruled David's death as suicide, which surprised his immediate family, well, his family on his side, as they never thought he would kill himself. Luckily, the police investigating the case thought that there was more to it than suicide, as they had learnt about her first husband's death, which had happened just a few years before. Now, when they had tested the two glasses on the bedside table, the empty one that had been used for the brandy and cranberry juice had David's fingerprints on it. However, the one that contained the green antifreeze in it only had Stacy's fingerprints on it. Also, when the turkey baster was tested, the green liquid in it was found to be antifreeze and David's DNA was found on the tip of it. So that's a little bit weird. So the cops weren't about to let this go. They knew from experience that this whole thing looked suspicious. So they started to look a lot closer at Stacey Caster. Police would wiretap her phone lines and also they had surveillance cameras at not only her home, but also looking over the grave site of her husband's. Yes, she buried them both side by side with the intentions of one day being buried between them. Even though Stacy had told police how much she loved her husbands, not once did she ever visit their graves. Now, Stacy's first husband, Michael Wallace, he had apparently died of a heart attack. For a few months before his death, family members had noticed him feeling intermittently sick and had told him to go and get checked out. Now, before he could do so, and men are notorious for not going to see doctors, he passed away. Ashley, who was only 12 years old at the time, was home alone with him. Stacy told hospital staff how he had heart problems and that his death would be found to be a heart attack. Michael's side of the family was suspicious as he had no history of heart disease and they wanted an autopsy to be performed. However, Stacy, as next of kin, refused and so Michael's death was recorded as a heart attack. So getting back to the David Caster death, investigators had a theory that Stacy had force-fed him with antifreeze using the turkey baster. Okay, so ethyl glycol. What is it and what does it do to you? I tell you, this is not this is not a nice way to die. Well, ethyl, ethyl, ethylene glycol is a colorless, colorless, odorless sweet liquid commonly found in antifreeze. And with the bright green dye is used, so you can't mistake it for anything else at all. Like, don't drink that bright green shit. Just don't do it. 
Now, because of this being odorless, it can be mixed into a drink, especially in our, if you think you're having an alcoholic drink, and the effects are masked by the alcohol as the first stage of ethyl glycol poisoning is that you will feel intoxicated, dizzy, you'll be lacking coordination of muscle movements, you'll be drooling, depressed, and have slurred speech, seizures, abnormal eye movements, headaches, and confusion. Now, that might sound like most people's Saturday or Sunday mornings, but this first stage, that lasts between 30 minutes and 12 hours. Stage 2, which goes from around 12 hours to 36 hours, the signs of alcohol poisoning subside, but the damage to your body is still occurring. Now, you may have an elevated heart rate, feel dehydrated and have blood pressure. Now, these symptoms are a result of accumulation of organic acids formed by the metabolism of ethylene glycol. Now, most deaths occur during this stage. Then there's the third stage, which is between, say, 24 hours and 72 hours. This is where your kidneys fail with calcium oxalate crystals forming in there. Severe lethargy, coma, depression, vomiting, seizures, drooling, And guess what? You'll lose your appetite if you hadn't already lost your appetite in the previous day or so. Now, if your kidneys fail at this stage, you may recover, but the chances aren't high. I'm I'm thinking you get to only get the third stage if you haven't had quite as much as the people who've died in the second stage probably had a lot 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 more. So Who would commit suicide like this when you have a gun under your bed? 72 hours of agony or shoot yourself and get it over and done with quickly. This didn't make any sense and little bit by little bit, investigators built a case against Stacey Caster. So the investigators get permission to dig up Michael Wallace's body on the 5th of September to do an autopsy. And guess what? He had crystals in his kidneys indicating ethyl glycol poisoning. No wonder Stacy didn't want an autopsy at the time of his death. Now, police went to Ashley's school on the 7th of September 2007. It was her first day of uni and told her that they dug up her father as they were suspicious of his death. Now, Ashley called her mum and told her about the cops rocking up at her school and this freaked her out a bit. It's on the 7th that police would also interview Stacy, and she mentioned that David probably got the idea to kill himself with the antifreeze after they'd watched a crime doco about Lynn Turner, who'd killed two husbands, one in 1995 and the other in 2001, with antifreeze. But when she mentioned antifreeze, she didn't say antifreeze. She said anti-free. That's anti-free. Now, this small little mistake would become very important down the track. On Friday the 14th of September, Ashley came home from uni and sat with her mum. Now, Stacy offered her a drink, an alcoholic drink, which Ashley thought tasted funny. Now, soon Ashley felt dizzy and crashed out in her bedroom. The next day, Bree, Ashley's sister, went into her room to check on her and found her drooling and unresponsive. She called 911 and Ashley was rushed to emergency. The doctor said that if she'd been, say, 10 minutes later, she would have been dead. Now, back at home, Stacy produces a suicide note 
that she said she found next to Ashley's bed. Now, I'm going to read this out. I'm not going to read it out exactly how it was uh, written because it was written with plenty of spelling mistakes in it and it just wouldn't make any sense. So the key parts you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear as we go. Mummy, when you read the letter, just remember I love you and everything I did is because I love you. I'm sorry all this is happening to you, but now everyone is going to know what really happened and they know it wasn't you. It was me. No one was ever supposed to know about Daddy. I told you when Daddy died it was all my fault and it was. Daddy was doing things you never knew about. He was drinking when he was at Pick and Pull's house and at Lisa's house he was smoking pot again too. I saw him. He was mean to you and me, and he only ever loved Bree. I couldn't let him do those things to you anymore. You think I don't remember how things were, but I do, and I didn't want to ever live like that anymore. It wasn't fair to you or me. Daddy wasn't going to be good to you, only ever to Bree. I couldn't stand it anymore. The cops said there was anti-free in Daddy's body, but did they tell anyone about the rat poison too? When I got home from school that day, I know what was going on. Daddy was barely breathing. I knew he was going to die. That's why I didn't call you for help or anyone else. I wanted to make sure he couldn't be mean to you or me anymore. He died before I went to pick Bree up from school. I watched him and I knew he couldn't hurt you anymore. Then we were happy for a while, just the three of us. And then you married David, and he was mean to you too. He was mean to all of us, meaner than Daddy, and I knew you loved him like you loved Daddy, and you were going to let him treat you like he did, and you wouldn't leave. It wasn't fair, Mummy. He didn't love you or me or Bree. I never thought anyone would miss David. No one but you loved him. It was harder than with Daddy, because you were always home or with him. But I did it. I made sure he would never hurt you anymore. So that Friday, when David came home, you could go to the post office, is when I first did it. It was easy. I asked him if he wanted something to drink, and I put the antifree in his glass with some soda. He drank two whole glasses. That was, it only took longer for David than with Daddy. Once I put the antifree in Daddy's Gatorade, It only took a day or so, and that's when he died. When you were sleeping on the couch after David locked himself in the room, I got the extra key because I knew where he hid it, and I put stuff in the room. I tried to get him to drink some of that booze with the dropper thing, but he was out of it and wouldn't. I poured the antifree in the glass and on the floor and left the bottle in the room, and then I put the gloves back in the kitchen and got ready for work. You never knew, and now all these cops are saying all this stuff about you to everyone you know and love. Mummy, it's just not fair. When you told me they dug Daddy up, I knew what was going to happen. No one was ever supposed to know, Mummy, and now they do, and they think you did it. But you didn't. It was me. When the cops came to my school today, I thought they'd figured it out, and I was going to go to jail but they didn't take me. Mummy, I can't live like this and watch what they are doing to you anymore, but I can't go to jail for the rest of my life. 
I can't put you through that. I did the only thing I could to help you, Mummy. I know you hate me for doing what I did, but Mummy, remember I love you more than anything, and I did it for you and for us. Please forgive me, Mummy. Someday, when all of this is over, please forgive me. Make sure you take care of Bree. She's all you have left now. Remember how happy we were all together, and you will be happy again, I promise you. Mummy, tell Matt I love him, and I'm sorry. Tell Bree to be a good girl for you, and I love her now too. Please don't hate me. Remember, I love you. Ashley. Now, this was printed out from Microsoft Word, and it was unsigned. It just had Ashley's name at the end. And as you can see, it's basically describing how she killed her father, how she killed her stepfather, and why she's committing suicide. And it's also trying to say that David and Michael were both bad to all of them, like they were being abusive in the relationship. And I can tell you now, there was no abuse in the relationship. Well, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? It was Ashley all along. Or was it? Now, the cops would be waiting for Ashley to come out of her coma, and yes, she survived the drug overdose. Now, when she woke up, they straight away asked her about all the pills she'd taken and about this note. Now, she was totally confused, saying she'd never, she'd never written any note and she hadn't taken any pills. Now, police can get a pretty good idea if you're telling the truth when they ask these sorts of questions. And it was the way Ashley reacted that they became suspicious that Stacy had tried to poison her daughter. So, now they had Stacy Caster, twice widowed, first husband thought to have died after having a heart attack, but then when her second husband dies a few years later from antifreeze in his system, they dig up her first husband, do an autopsy, and find he died of antifreeze in his system. The investigators then let it be known that she's under suspicion of being involved in both deaths, and then her daughter nearly dies from a drug overdose with a suicide note printed out, unsigned, next to her bed, detailing how she killed both Michael Wallace and David Caster. Now, police had wiretaps on Stacey's phone lines and had been monitoring her for quite a while, even before Ashley overdosed. And as I mentioned before, they had cameras watching over Michael and David's gravesite, and they noticed that Stacey, who, yep, she loved both her husbands so much, she missed them so much, never went to visit them. Now, they seized the computer from Stacy's house, and it was a shared computer, so Ashley, Bree, and Stacy used it. Now, they were able to forensically recover not only the so-called suicide note, but also fragments of previous versions of the note. This is because Microsoft Word auto-saves documents every few minutes, and if these auto-save files have not been written over, they are still on the PC, even if you think you've deleted the files. What would be of most interest to the investigators would be the time stamps of those files. Okay, so police would arrest Stacy and charge her with murder of her husband, David Caster, and the attempted murder of her daughter, Ashley. You see, even though Stacy denied writing the suicide note and killing her husbands and trying to kill her daughter, there was so much evidence, some circumstantial, of course, to prove she was the culprit. Ashley and Bree were devastated. Their mother that they loved so much, 
not only killed their father and stepfather, but tried to blame them, well, tried to blame Ashley, and then tried to kill Ashley. I mean, what the fuck? What must be going on in your tiny little mind, Stacey, as a mother, to try and frame your daughter for two murders and then try to kill her? You really, really, really have to be fucked in the head, Stacey. Still, she denied any involvement and pleaded not guilty at her trial. Now, get this. This amazes me. She took the stand as well during the, ti- the during the trial. Typical narcissistic move. Now, how many times do we see these narcissistic asshole types take the stand in their trials? They think they're so fucking smart that they can fool the prosecution and the jury. So, the main points of the prosecution really sealed her fate. So, we'll go over it. And you can actually watch the whole trial if you want on YouTube. The Word document, which was basically a full confession for two murders, was proved to not be written by Ashley because of the time stamps of the fragments of these auto-save files and the file itself. Well, Ashley was at school at the time and she had an alibi. Also... The suicide note mentioned rat poison. Now, this was only known to the killer as being used as well as the antifreeze to kill Michael Wallace. So whoever wrote that note was the killer, and Ashley couldn't have written this note. Also, the word antifree appeared four times in the note, and this is what Stacy thought antifreeze was. So her mistakenly calling antifreeze anti-free not only occurred in this note but also when police interviewed her before which was noted by the investigator at the time now on the glass on the bedside table which had anti-freeze in it that glass only had Stacy's fingerprints on it the other glass with the cranberry and brandy remnants that had David's on it the turkey baster that was found in the kitchen bin, it had remnants of antifreeze in it and also David's DNA on the tip of it. The container that the antifreeze came from was found on top of the vomit, which was just, the vomit was just everywhere. But it had no vomit on it, it was just placed on top. So it must have been placed next to the bed after David had been spewing up everywhere. So this is what they reckoned went down. Michael Wallace, that's the original husband, was given doses of antifreeze in his Gatorade and this made him sick over a period of a few days. But it, this could have actually started months before. Now, on the day he died, Stacy gave him some rat poison as well to speed up the poisoning. She then went out, leaving her very sick husband alone with the girls. Ashley was only 12 at the time and stayed home to take care of her obviously very sick father, who eventually later in the day died. Now, Stacy refused an autopsy and hinted to the doctor that Michael had a history of heart problems, which was totally untrue. Now, I don't know how this happens, but his death was just put down as a heart attack, and Stacy ended up getting $50,000 insurance payout. Now, whether or not that's a big motive in all of this, of why she killed him, I don't know, but she stood to get a clear amount of money, and it was $50,000. I'm not too much sure what their other assets were at the time. 
Anyway, a couple of years later, she marries David Caster. And a couple of years more, he gets sick and dies. This time, it is known to be ethyl glycol poisoning from the antifreeze. And Stacey's story and the bedroom indicate a suicide. So when the coppers get there, she's a, they've had a fight over the weekend, all of this, da-da-da. He's locked himself in his room and he's drunk all this ethyl glycol to commit suicide. Now, David's DNA is found on the tip of a discarded turkey baser, which also had antifreeze in it. Now, over three days from Friday night to Monday morning, well, I guess you could say that's over four days, but basically it was from Friday night to Monday morning, around three days, David died an agonising death from this ethyl glycol poisoning, with the turkey baster being used to inject more antifreeze into his stomach as pouring it in with a glass wasn't just wasn't working for Stacy. When forensics examine the scene and Stacy is put under surveillance, they dig up Michael Wallace's body and they find he died from ethyl glycol poisoning as well. And there's also rat poison in his system, and this is what no one really knew. Only the killer and the investigators knew. Now, when Stacy sees that she's going to get busted, she makes a plan over a couple of days to frame her daughter for it all. She gives her daughter Ashley a drink one afternoon, which is laced with pills. Now, Lexapro to be specific. Now, this causes drowsiness, dizziness, nausea, and will kill you if you overdose. She then prints off a suicide note and combo confession. So it's a suicide note I killed because I killed my father's or father and stepfather's. Now, she does this in Ashley's name. And now, she had been writing this and planning this over the few days previously. Now, when Ashley didn't die and it was proved that only the killer could have written that note and Ashley wasn't there when it was created, this all pointed to Stacy being the perpetrator. Still, in the dock, Stacy refused to admit she did it. And she kept saying, no, it's my daughter. Now, her daughters, both of them were sitting in the court. Now, if you watch this on YouTube, it's just amazing that a mother could do and say what she was doing, accusing her own daughter of the two murders and then saying that her daughter tried to kill herself because of it all. Also, it was found that Stacy forged and altered David Caster's will so his son from a previous marriage was basically cut out of it and everything would go to her. Bitch! On February the 5th, 2009, Stacy was found guilty of second-degree murder in the poisoning death of David Caster and of attempted second-degree murder for overdosing her daughter, Ashley Wallace, with drugs and vodka. Now, Stacy was sentenced to a maximum of 25 years to life for the murder of David Caster and to another 25 years for the attempt to kill Ashley. For forging David's will, he ordered Caster to serve an additional 16 months to four years in prison, all to be served consecutively. I'll just insert the judge's comments here and the audio. This is from the trial. Cue up the audio, Bobby. You know, in my 34 years in the criminal justice system as a lawyer and as a judge, I've seen serial killers, I've seen contract killers, I've seen murderers of every variety and stripe, but I have to say, Mrs. Castor, you are in a class by yourself. What you did to David Castor can only be described as premeditated torture. 
And while you're not being held accountable for it here, I must say that what you did to Michael Wallace was also premeditated torture. Premeditation is not something we often see in the criminal courts, but it certainly is present in both of these instances. Now, as bad and as evil as that is, what you tried to do to your daughter Ashley is simply something that I find I almost can't comprehend. Uh, I've seen a lot of defendants come through this court system, including some whose parents tried to take the blame for what they did, but I've never seen one who was prepared to sacrifice their child to shift the blame away from themselves. You know, I listened carefully to the testimony of both your daughters, and I have daughters too. Now, they're older than yours, but they have a similar gap in their ages. And I listened not only to the wonderment of your daughter Ashley as she tried to comprehend what you did to her, I also listened to the horror your daughter Bree experienced <clears throat> in finding her older sister almost dead. You not only deprived those children of their father, but you were prepared to deprive them of one another. And I'm certain that your daughters, like my daughters, like most children who have siblings, expect and are comforted by the knowledge that when their parents pass on, they'll at least have each other to grow old and share life with. You almost succeeded in murdering one child and orphaning the other. You know, the, the ranks, this, that ranks, in my judgment, is one of the most reprehensible things I think I've ever seen in the criminal justice system. I know that you maintain your innocence, but I'll tell you, in my view, the evidence of your guilt is overwhelming. Unlike many defendants who pass through my courtroom, you're not just a danger to the general public. You're a danger to the people who love you and are closest to you. And I believe that the sentence I'm about to impose will remove that danger once and for all. Upon your conviction for murder in the second degree, the murder of David Castor on count one of the indictment, it's the sentence and judgment of the court that you be sentenced to a minimum of 25 years and a maximum of life in the New York State Correctional System. Upon your conviction for attempted murder in the second degree of your daughter Ashley Wallace on count two of the indictment, it is the sentence and judgment of the court that you be sentenced to a determinate sentence of 25 years in the New York State Correctional System to be followed by a five-year period of post-release supervision. I direct that that sentence run consecutive to the sentence I've just imposed on count one of the indictment. Upon your conviction of offering a false instrument for filing in the first degree on count three of the indictment, it's a sentence and judgment of the court that should be sentenced to a minimum of one and a third years and a maximum of four years in the New York State Correctional System. I direct that sentence to run consecutively to the sentence I've imposed on counts one and counts two of the indictment. There's a $275 surcharge. Ms. Castor, you have 30 days with which to appeal the sentence and judgment of the court. We are recessed. Thank you. Sir. Thank you. Okay. She's in coma. Okay. As soon as I get back. So she wasn't tried for the murder of her first husband, Michael Wallace, as her sentence was 51 years and an effective life sentence. Well, Islanders, what the actual fuck with her? <laughs> what an absolute bitch. But that's not all. Stacy would be suspected of also killing her father, who died on the 22nd of February 2002, shortly after she visited him, visited him in hospital where he had had a minor lung complaint. So grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. <laughs> no, Stacey, that's okay. I'll get my own fucking drink. Boom, fuck it, Lunga. Thank you. 
Anyway, that bitch died in prison June the 11th, 2016. Just amazing. Killing husbands and then trying to kill her own daughter and blame everything on her. I think this is why we all get into true crime. It's just amazing what goes on that you can't make this shit up. Now, Michael Cawthorn featured Stacy in his book, Killer Women. The dedication read, To my girlfriend, Crystal Nassar. She has promised not to try this at home. Okay, well that's it for another week. And then we go to the Patreons. Thanks to all my past and present and new Patreons, your financial support does make a difference as True Crime Island is a commercial free... It's for all, so no annoying ads for rundies or food delivery or shit like that. And all my content is available for everyone, no matter if you can donate or not. And thanks to Robin Taylor and Blair Stackhouse this week. Thank you so much. It's all very much appreciated. Also, I'll be sending out rewards this week and email those who are going to get mugs and t-shirts for address confirmations and all that stuff, sizes. So please be on the lookout for those. If you want to help out the island, you can go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. If you don't like the monthly thing, you can also donate, but buy me a beer via PayPal. PayPal link is donate.truecrimeisland.com or paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Now, don't forget, support yourself before you support the island. And I know times are tough at this moment, so just make sure you take care of yourselves first. I also have merch at Threadless and Redbubble now. I've updated my website, truecrimeisland.com. There is a contact and merch link there. So if you click that, that can t- that'll give you links to Threadless and Redbubble and all that sort of stuff. Now, the hot pink logo promo shirt should have been shipped, so please look out for them in the mail. And thanks to all of those who picked one up. I've seen a few posted online, and they look great. I'm still waiting for mine. Now, maybe we need a fan art version in the coming months. And I am looking at doing new koozies because they're all sold out. So if you have any ideas, some fan art, please email them through to me. There's also links on my website to Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now, you can support the show by just rating and reviewing. Also by sharing it with your friends and family. And that is a good way to expand the island. Please feel free to check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. Now, there is at the moment a giveaway at 1,000 subs, which we have passed. So that's a bit more motivation to have a look. And thanks to all those who have subbed. And like I said, we're actually at 1,000 subs now. And I'll draw the winner in a couple of weeks. So if you want to enter, please comment on the 1,000 sub giveaway video. Also, don't just go to that one. Go and watch some of the episodes to get my count up. Please feel free to comment, subscribe, and to get notifications for new episodes, hit the little bell. I've also added a link to this on my website. If you want to contact me, the best way is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. All the other ways are quite difficult for me to go back over and search if required, especially if you've given me a suggestion. I think, oh, in a couple of months' time, there was somebody sent me this suggestion. I can do it now, and I can't get in contact with them. Okay, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Not that it's going to take it off your hard drive anyway. Good night and boom, pakalunga. Bye.